Nikkei 225 in Japan up a similar amount. Uh, as well. Over in South Korea, the Cosby's just opened up about half a percent. Uh, not much movement in Hong Kong. Hang Seng future's pretty flat as we await that China GDP data due to be released at 10 o'clock this morning. In the commodities markets, gold is at $1,901 an ounce and Brent crude oil at $43.04 a barrel. Thank you very much for listening. Stay tuned for Back Chat with Hugh Chiverton and Mike Rouse in just a moment. The weather forecast going to be dry during the day. Maximum temperature is going to be about 29 degrees. And the outlook is for it to be mainly fine and dry this week as well. It's 22 degrees right now, 74% relative humidity. 8.30 and a half, here's Samantha Butler with the Half Hour News. The French Prime Minister Jean Castex has told huge crowds rallying around the country that France wasn't afraid and wouldn't allow itself to be divided by the beheading of a teacher by a suspected Islamist. The Finance Minister Bruno Le Maire said he would now propose reinforcing controls on the financial flows of some Islamist associations. In Paris, thousands gathered to pay their respects at the Place de la République. Monsieur Gonfier, a history and geography teacher from the outskirts of Paris, said he wanted to show his support. I'm here out of solidarity because we're shocked by what happened on Friday. There are many teachers who can see themselves being in this person's shoes. There's dread and a lot of anger. Anger because it's a situation you could feel was growing. Enormous crowds also turned out in the southern city of Marseille. For the 10th consecutive Sunday, many thousands of people in Belarus have demonstrated to demand the resignation of the long-term leader, Alexander Lukashenko. But in cold weather, numbers were down on previous weeks. More than 100 people have been detained. Here's the BBC's Sarah Rainsford. These giant rallies have been overwhelmingly peaceful from the start, demonstrating against an election people believe was rigged and at the brutal treatment by police of protesters that followed. From exile in Lithuania, the opposition leader Svetlana Tikhanovskaya is attempting to increase the pressure on Mr Lukashenko. She's issued an ultimatum telling him to step down by October the 25th or face a crippling national strike and renewed protests. He's shown no sign he plans to comply with that and intense pressure on state workers not to strike has so far prevented any mass national walkout. About 25,000 people are demonstrating in the main square of the Chilean capital, Santiago, to mark a year since the start of a protest movement over inequality. The atmosphere has been mostly festive but was marred with some violent incidents. Here's the BBC's Jane Chambers. Protesters are gathered in the Plaza Italia, cheering and chanting and waving homemade banners. Many are calling for people to vote yes in next week's referendum over whether to design a new constitution and scrap the one that was made during General Pinochet's military dictatorship. That was one of the key demands in the 2019 demonstrations, along with calls for greater equality in education, health care and pensions. The start of today's rally was largely peaceful, but there have since been some violent incidents of vandalism, looting and clashes among protesters. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host today is Mike Rouse. Mike, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. Today we're talking about Singapore and COVID-19. The administration announced last week that Singapore has agreed a so-called travel bubble with Hong Kong so residents can fly between the two places without having to be quarantined. The government said the cities enjoy strong trade, investment, finance, tourism and people-to-people ties. They're both major aviation hubs and the international air route between the two cities was among the busiest in the Asia-Pacific region pre-COVID-19. Who then will benefit from the arrangements? Will it lead to a travel rush for Hong Kongers? Do you have travel plans for Singapore? Would you pay an extra $2,000 for tests? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Bank chat on rthk radio 3 email us as ever back chat at rthk.hk and as ever our telephone number is 233 talking about covid19 after nine o'clock this morning uh just before we get to our first topic today the uh, travel bubble a few uh emails on uh what's going on in uh, different countries uh, around the world lou wants to talk about the uk uh, without opposition, the British Parliament has passed the Overseas Operations Bill allowing British soldiers to commit war crimes. It's also endorsed the Covert Human Intelligence Resources Bill allowing undercover agents and informants to commit crimes as part of their work for MI5, police, immigration, customs, military forces and a host of authorities. One says Mike Pompeo is openly urging US citizens to learn foreign languages for patriotic reasons, not to learn about other cultures for mutual understanding and better bilateral ties. I guess one of the patriotic reasons is to spy on US adversaries, real or imaginary, and to raise the ability of Americans to attack another country on social media in their native language. The US has reached a sad new low. And uh, Herman uh, says it's amazing that Canadian Prime Minister Trudeau is so focused on what China does in Xinjiang, which has no real impact on most Canadians, yet is silent when it comes to the release of supposedly treated water from Fukushima. Uh, Has he considered that the Fukushima water could, thanks to global currents, get carried to Canadian waters? entering and impacting its food and agricultural systems, not to mention its wildlife, if the water were not really as clean as Japan claims. Joining us for our first topic this morning, we have with us uh, Ronald Wu. Mr Wu is chairman of the Hong Kong Association of Travel Agents, and joining us on the line is uh, Professor Brian King, Associate Dean uh, the school uh, and professor in the School of uh, Hotel and Tourism Management at the Polytechnic University. Uh, Mr. Wu, we'll start with you. Good morning. Good morning. Thank Thanks you much indeed for, for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, okay, so this deal with uh, Singapore, um, how much do you think this is going to affect your business? How much will this uh, business uh, change for travel agents? Um, f- first of all, I think I think it caught us in a surprise that we we struck a deal with Singapore before we did with with China and Macau. Um, we we always thought that those two cities, um, China and Macau, would would be the first to uh, to to open the border. But uh, you know, um, we we think we have reached um, an all time load of having only four thousand visitors a month um, since the COVID begin as of August. So um, anything anything plus is is a bonus for us at this moment. So can't can't really be picky. Can't really complain too much of uh, of which which country to open, which country or not. Has the, can I ask? Has the whole thing been nailed down, or is it an agreement in principle with some things still to be sorted out? Are you referring to the Singapore? Singapore. Um, from from what we heard from Secretary Yao on uh, on Friday, I, I believe that we do have a framework ready. It's just a matter of getting the the operation uh, in place so that all the visitors from both sides um, will will be able to travel smoothly. Right, because I said there's still a bit of work to do 
in sorting out the details. So have they agreed on the kind of test you must have to show that you're without the virus? I, I believe so, but I think, I think um, what, what, what is still in the air is how many times do we have to do the test um, you know, before going, during our stay, and after we come back. So um, I, I'm pretty sure that the, what, what test you have to do has been, has been struck. Right. But um, I, I, I'm still, we, we're still not sure how many times you have to do the test um, for, let's say, a four days, three nights trip. That's, that's still in the air. So would you do one in Hong Kong before you left and then another one in Singapore when you arrive or what? I, 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 yeah, that's, that's something we, we need to figure out. Or do you do one after you come back? So that, that is something that we, we believe we're going to get more details on in the next few weeks. Okay, but a lot of Hong Kong people are suffering from cabin <laughs> fever at the moment. Yeah. Got to get out to go somewhere. Right. I mean, Lantau Island or a Lama, Cheng mm. Chow, have their charms, but eventually you, you run out, don't you? Right. Would you um, go, Mike? Would you Would you want to go? I seriously think about it. I mean, I, I, I love going to Singapore for the first 48 hours, and then, <laughs> then I'm bored out of my skull. <laughs> so, yeah, I would consider going. I'm not sure I want to pay this much to go. That's the, that's the only thing. I'd, I'd like to go to Macau. I'd like to go to southern China. There are also reports that the airfares are going up uh, a lot, uh, and then there's the extra cost of the... Uh, of the actual tests, and it's uh, estimated that it would be $2,000 or even more than $2,000. And some of the tests, I think, at, at the airport, Changi Airport, already are um, uh, in excess of that. Um, so who do you think would take advantage of that? Would it be people going because they have to go, do you think, or would it be tourists and travellers? I, I think the first wave is, is probably going to be people that, that are travelling for business or, you know, have, have some, they have to go, as you said, for, for family visit, for, you know, whatever reason they, they have to go or they have to come back from, from Singapore, right. for example. Somebody's given birth or somebody's just passed away and there's a funeral. Exactly. So people who really exactly. got to go for exactly. some, some social reason. Exactly. Which ones would you like us to have a bubble with? Which of the markets would really help uh, your industry? As I said in the beginning, right? I mean, we 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 can't really be picky at this time. So um, it is very important that we we set a good example of how, what we're going to do with Singapore this time, so that um, you know we give we would give confidence to to other countries in in particularly in Asia, Japan, Korea, Thailand. Right. Those are the places so, we all so really can, want to go, right? Yeah. So that so that you know they they would uh, they would be comfortable be, be to be added into the bubble, and and that's not just the bubble between Hong Kong Singapore, be a bubble, you know, be traveling between all the countries within the bubble, right? Yeah, yeah I got grandchildren in Thailand, I got and one in Beijing, so I, mm-hmm. I want these bubbles as quickly right. as possible. Right. Any thoughts on why it happened in Singapore rather than anywhere else? As you say, people were expecting it more to be. I mean, you know, Singapore ahead of Macau seems odd. Um, I, I, I think I'm sure they're in discussion as, as uh, you know, as the government said, they're in discussion of 11 countries. And also I'm sure China and Macau is, is, is uh, we've mm. been in long discussion. Um, I, I, think, I think Singapore would be a good start. I mean, we, you know, um, we, we have a stable flights. I think Singapore Airlines have just announced they're going to start again 10 flights a, day, uh, a week. After the after they announced that they're gonna have a travel bubble, so um, you know, as, as as I said before, as soon as we get this first example done really well, um, I'm sure the other countries, the other cities are are um, when when they decide to join the bubble, the process will be a lot quicker. That's right, and of course, and you don't have to fly to Macau and. Uh Southern China, exactly. Whereas so, you, it, this is going to put Cathay planes back in the air, mm-hmm. and, and and SIA planes back in the mm-hmm. air. Mm-hmm. Would you? Would you? Which way will the traffic be mostly? 
would there be more people coming from Singapore or more people coming? From, there was more people in Hong Kong, but then is Singapore more cramped and they'd like a bit more space? I don't know. Look, looking at the 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 past data, let's say from 2019, for example, you know we have about less than half a million visitors from Singapore a year, and uh, and you know going to Singapore. Um, so because in the beginning it's it's so new for for everybody, I I would believe I would hope that you know, and in order for for the plane to 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 have a balance um, a load, right? It would be better if we have a, a sort of similar traffic both ways. So that's I believe that's what they're hoping for. Okay. And it well, won't be it won't be, be that many people in the beginning, anyways. And, and the Singaporeans are prepared to pay quite a lot of money just to have an air, air meal. On the ground, yeah, I, at Changi, I, <laughs> I, that was stunning. <laughs> indeed, indeed. I, yeah. I know people who take food with them on board planes to avoid eating the aircraft food. Right, we have yeah. people in Hong Kong just flying up in the air for for an hour and a half and come right. back too. <laughs> uh, okay, <laughs> Professor King, good morning to you. Yes, good morning. Thank you very much indeed for, for for joining us. Uh, what do you make of this? First of all, uh, what about the fact that it's Singapore? That's a bit of a surprise, wasn't it? Well, I think when the long list was introduced by the government, I said it was, uh, you know, they were going to try their best. So, look, maybe in retrospect, it's not surprising that uh, Singapore that worked out because, you know, they're both large developed cities. We don't have substantive domestic markets. We're quite dependent mm. on one another for uh, business. And then probably the two governments uh, are able to work uh, well together, so develop some mutual understanding. So, I mean, it's easy to say, say these things in retrospect, but I think um, the, the, the travel trade, uh, there's pretty unanimous view that this is a good start and, you know, well done to the two authorities for getting to this stage. Uh, and this, you know, it's being described as the first of its kind in the world, this sort of travel bubble. Is that right? Do you know of any others? Yes, New Zealand and Australia, but it's one way, I think. New yes, Zealand that's right. So, like, so that went yeah. still one way. The, the Australians can't go to New Zealand yet. I mean, there's lots of travel bubble experiments uh, worldwide. I think where this maybe is the first in that we'll have these dedicated flights that are just for people that are going point to point. So there's no transit passengers. And then it allows, uh, you know, I guess, stricter controls at either end. And then it allows a partnership with the main airlines, you know, dedicating the whole service to this group of the population. And then the final thing is it's not asking you to justify what you're tra why you're traveling. You know, you can say, well, I just want to. It doesn't have to be for business or, or personal reasons. So that gets us a little bit uh, closer to the, you know, freedom of movement idea. Mm. Uh, and I think you're right, yeah, that the idea that there would be, the plane would be clean, that you'd know that everyone on the plane uh, was was clear of COVID, that would be a big relief, wouldn't it? Because if you had a sprinkling of transit passengers or something, you could never quite be sure and you might have to wear your hazmat suit or something like that. So I think the actual, the, the time spent during the flight is also uh, key as well, to, as well as the, you know, the, the infections are at both ends. Um, so, so um, Brian King, is this a model, you know, you can imagine other places adopting, see how it goes? Well, it's a, it's a bit of a pilot, I'd say. Uh, as Ronald says, in the first instance, uh, there was a lot of interest, but the number of people taking it up will be relatively modest. I think there are some particular conditions in, in Singapore and Hong Kong. Um, so there's no real domestic market. That's good because it allows more control. In other places, this model might not be perfect. Uh, but I, look, I think it's a good start, and it allows the two authorities, the, the health, the 
the airlines and the tourism boards to develop some mutual understanding. So let's see how it goes. Uh, and with everything to do with COVID, there's always the possibility of regress. You know, if, if something goes wrong, then we're back to square one. But uh, we need hope and we need travellers to get excited about the prospect to at least go onto the website and see what's available. So from that point of view, I think it's uh, certainly for Asia, it's a very, it's a very good start. And, and the rest of Asia will be watching us closely. Right. Now, if you're flying out of New Zealand um, to Australia, it's fine. You don't need to go into quarantine at the Australian Inn. Could we do something like that with New Zealand since they, they got the situation apparently so well under control there? Well, I think Singapore have already, uh, they're a bit more advanced than Hong Kong, so they've got deals with a number of countries. Uh, but the one with Hong Kong is the first to allow you just for leisure purposes. So I think Singapore already has an arrangement with uh, Australia minus Victoria, with New Zealand, and also with some Asian countries, but specifically for, uh, for business and essential uh, purposes. So look, I think that... Um, it's probably best not to rush in to do too many of these deals at the same time, but I think having diplomatic conversations with New Zealand, other places that are well progressed, is a good idea for the government. And and I think and I think is is uh, you know I echo what what Professor King said is that um, it is a pilot program, so um, you know you don't want to get too many countries involved in the first place but if uh, if we are able to set a good example of you know um good have, having good feedbacks from from the travelers saying that oh they're fine with the process you know having the for example how to how to speed the test up maybe at the airport so that they don't have to they don't have to wait too long for the results if it is necessary to to take a second test upon arrival um you know it, it just just to to get this started get the ball rolling and once we get all this hardware and the operation set up it will it will be a lot smoother to get second right. third or fourth countries in because there could be some problem snags in the early stages we need to knock those out right. to make it run really smoothly right. for everybody and right. we get some smiling faces saying yeah yeah i flew into hong kong and uh, you know we're going to disneyland we're going to ocean park uh, and it's great um, we want people down in Singapore from Hong Kong say, saying the same kind of thing. Yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going around the, all the locations of crazy rich Asians uh, <laughs> and so on and, and swimming on top of the, uh, the hotel and everything. Yeah. That would be good. Um, I'm, I'm just a little concerned. Do you think the government's doing okay with Macau and the mainland? What, what, what seems to be the hold up there? They're, these are our brothers and sisters. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I from from what I heard, you know, I, I believe that in terms of um, you know having the the health call system set up, I, I trust that is already because it is already running between China and Macau. So um, you know, I, I I really hope that you know it's it's just a matter of time. Hopefully, be, before the Chinese New Year, before Christmas, even that we we are able to uh, we able to um, you know travel between the, the our brother and sisters like like what China and Macau are doing because. Um, even from a personal experience, I I've, I do hear quite a lot of people that have uh, families working in Macau, families working in China, um, or or Hong Kongers that are that are expats sort of in in Macau and China that haven't been able to to return to Hong Kong for over half a year. Right? Has there been? I mean, the announcement was last Friday, was it? Uh, about this Thursday. Thursday. Any inquiries? Any uptick in inquiries? People contacting travel agents and so on. Um, I I I'm st I haven't heard of a lot of inquiries yet. It's it's mostly from the news, but because um, you know, as the government said last week, right, in in a few weeks' time, they're gonna 
pulled out all the operation details. And uh, and one other thing that we 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 hope will happen with this bubble forming is that eventually the uh, the cost of doing the testing will will eventually go down once the supply goes up. Oh, sorry, once the demand demand goes up, because um, you know as we as Mike said in the beginning, you know it was it's be quite expensive to pay just two thousand dollars to to do the testings before um, being able to fly on the plane again. Okay, some comment from listeners. Uh, Derek, first of all, says, Dear Back Chat, uh, I won't be rushing to buy a plane ticket to Singapore or anywhere else in the near future, but I am cautiously optimistic about being able to do so in the not-too-distant future, waiting to see if the COVID numbers go up and when my office will force me to take some of my annual leave. That's uh, from Derek. And uh, <coughs> different reactions on Facebook. Uh, first of all, uh, Bruce says, I'm here on a tourist visa, kind of long-term, married to a Hong Kong ID holder. Would I qualify for travel bubble if travelling with wife? Uh, if you can ask questions from any of your guests. That's uh, from Bruce. Uh, Professor King, do you know? Well, as Ronald said, the, the details are still being worked out, but I would think, yes, if, if it's long-term, uh, would probably qualify, but we'd have to, we'd have to check. <laughs> Don't take my word for it. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I guess you wouldn't be considered a transit passenger. Uh, there's no yeah. kind of mention of whether you're, what your ID status is. No, you're is. based here. If right. you're based here, yeah, you could, you, you could use it. I think that's my understanding. Uh, Howard says, why isn't there a travel bubble with Macau? They haven't had one new case of COVID-19 since June the 26th, while Singapore has reported 108 new cases in the first half of October. Uh, again, any insight on that, Professor King? Well, I think the Macau one involves the mainland authorities as well. You know, you've got the bridge going to Macau and to Zhuhai. So I, uh, I'm, I assume that some of the barrier comes from the discussions with the Guangdong or mainland authorities. It really needs to be three-way, and, and that's slowing it up a bit. And then the other thing is, yes, Macau was done brilliantly, uh, but so Macau looks to Hong Kong. I think they love the business, but they obviously want to keep... Uh, keep on with their very good track record. So Macau may be a little bit uh, cautious, but I think it's probably coming from the, the complication of three parties needing to be involved. And, and that's the beauty of the Singapore deal. It's only needed the two parties to, to come to an agreement. Would the mainland thing be uh, just southern China or would be the whole country? What what they did with Macau was they they opened the border for southern southern China countries in the first month first, and right. then eventually have it expand to to the entire China. So once once the uh, once once the bubble sort of speak um, is open between China, Macau, and and Hong Kong, I, I would think that the process would be would be quite similar, where you would first open up um, maybe a few cities in in southern China, and eventually have to have the border fully opened up to the entire China and Macau. That's a couple more comments. Uh, Tom says, on world COVID rates and the travel bubble, from figures available on the coronavirus worldometer per person, uh, Hong Kong has approximately uh, 10 times the rate of COVID of Thailand, 20 times that of Taiwan, and 120 times the rate of mainland China. In the egocentric thinking prevalent in Hong Kong, have people ever thought that the other country needs to desire us to come? There might be mass protests in Taiwan against Hong Kong tourism if Taiwan started importing cases from us. If our little Make Hong Kong Great movement could take the free government COVID tests when they are available and stop talking conspiracy nonsense like their counterparts in the US, that would definitely help. That comes from Tom. Anyone want to respond to that? Um, 
all these travel bubbles, right? I mean, the the it's not a one way traffic. It has to be both ways. So that's why we we need to strike an agreement with with um with with other countries. You know, there's there's really no point to just allow one way traffic to be in the bubble. It, it it's not it's not practical. So um again, because um, the planes would be empty in it, one direction. Exactly, and that that's one reason as well. So again, I I I'm sure the world or, or a lot of countries in the world are are looking at this Singapore Hong Kong as a, as an example. So we've if we are able to to um, to do a good job and uh, to give good experience, and there's no spike in in COVID after after the travel form, I'm sure mm. you know other countries will join, because um, tourism plays a big part in in a lot of uh, Asian countries, in particular the one you mentioned, Thailand, Japanese, Korea, for example. Yeah. I think the, the the listener who wrote in, um, I, I see, I look at those comparisons every single day. I think we have a lot of knowledge here because we're doing a lot of testing. Um, our average number of, I, I checked this out yesterday, the average number of local transmission cases in the last 28 days has been three a day. Um, the trouble with the GIS thing is that they put out the total every day. So a plane arrives from India, you know, with 10 people with the virus on it, and we're back in double figures, apparently. But actually we're not. If you look at the number in brackets and, and just the local transmissions, we're actually doing pretty well. But it is a fair point that people were going to see how well are you doing um, and they're going to look at those totals. Of course, in in the mainland, whatever number you, you've got over, underneath you're dividing by 1.3 billion. So, of course, the unit rate is, is pretty small. Where If we're three a day, that means the UK should be 30 a day, whereas I have a feeling it's several thousand a day. So we're certainly doing better than uh, Europe. Mm-hmm. I, I was surprised at those figures, Tom, but you're right. Yeah, you're quite right. I, I did just go have a glance at that, uh, that coronavirus worldometer, uh, which does make that uh, comparison. And as you say, it is 20 times that of uh, Taiwan and uh, 10 times that of, uh, of uh, Thailand uh, at, uh, at the moment, at 698 uh, cases per, per million of uh, population. But as I say, I don't know if that includes those imported cases, the, the ones we pick up at the airport. Right, and... Uh I mean, I was talking to my son yesterday in Beijing, and he said, life's back to normal. Everyone's walking around without masks. Um, his three gyms are, are reopened, uh, two in Shanghai, one in Beijing, and, uh, yeah, he was fine. They, go, they were just had a holiday as well for Golden Week. <laughs> okay, uh, more comments. All right, Matthew says, uh, I don't think I have heard of any countries expressing interest in opening a travel bubble with mainland China, which seems a bit strange given they are the gold standard in global COVID management and have reported virtually no cases for months. Do any of the experts know if China, if countries have already have or are planning to open a bubble with the mainland? Well, maybe I can comment. Mm. I mean, Singapore already has the Singapore-China fast lane, but I think their priority has been to get uh, business travel. And uh, so it's not open as the proposed Hong Kong-Singapore bubble is to, to leisure travelers. Uh, I think some countries in Europe also have uh, opened up uh, to China for certain purposes of travel. So, it, it, yes, it's been a little bit slow to open up the China leisure market, I, I think, just because of the, the vast numbers involved. But many countries really want to start uh, trading again with China and, and to get some uh, movement of business people to make that possible. Uh, Brian, you've quoted a number of ways in which Singapore seems to be way ahead of us. Why, why, why is that? Have we been slow to move? Um, 
Well, I think Singapore is part of ASEAN. They, they've worked very closely with other Southeast Asian nations, and they were also quite quick to work with uh, Australia, New Zealand, <laughs> and the rest of Asia. Now that I think of it, so so Korea, uh, Japan, uh, even Vietnam. So yes, I, I think Singapore has moved a little bit faster. And I mean, as Ronald said, the, the, in a way, the priority for Hong Kong should be about Macau and, and, and mainland. And because of complications associated that, with that, it may have uh, slowed down some of the others. Uh, but look, I, I think we need to celebrate that something is happening. There are obviously conversations from that long government list with the various other uh, potential destinations. And no doubt we'll hear of it when when a deal struck. Okay, a couple more comments to, to finish off. Uh, Michael says on Facebook, uh, this is Michael Maddis, um, he says, I uh, would have thought that a one-hour flight to Taiwan would make more sense than a three-hour flight to Singapore to help the airlines and travel industry at this critical time. And I'm not even talking about the fact that Hong Kongers love hiking in mountains and walking along coastlines, which Taiwan has lots. Excellent-priced hotels, unlike Singapore. Easy, low-cost transportation from Taipei all over Taiwan. Numerous food opportunities, bubble tea shops, markets, and financially makes much more sense for families and couples having a bubble uh, with Taiwan. That is from uh, Michael. And uh, Jim says, uh, travel bubble to Singapore. Uh, when will we have a travel bubble to Hong Kong beaches? Uh, wow and how. That's an observation from uh, Jim. Thank you very much. Well done, Jim. <laughs> for that. Uh, thank you very much indeed. Uh, thank you very much indeed to, to our guest this morning, to uh, Ronald Wu. Thank you, Mr Wu, who's chairman of the uh, Hong Kong uh, Association of Travel Agents, and uh, Brian King, Associate Dean and Professor in the School of Hotel and Tourism Management at the Polytechnic University. We're going to be talking to uh, Professor Cowling and Kwok Kee about uh, COVID-19, the latest, uh, after the news at nine. As ever, we want to hear from you. Backchat at rthk.hk. Quick uh, email from uh, Chris, uh, who says, on our host last week, Lam Lam, last week your co-host, Nixie Lam, voiced up loud to override your guest, Yipkin Nguyen, behaved unreasonably and presented very badly on air. Thanks for that uh, uh, comment. Backchat at rthk.hk, our email address, the weather becoming fine, dry, 23 degrees at the moment and the relative humidity, 74%. Their latest ceasefire and says indiscriminate attacks on civilians are totally unacceptable. Both countries have traded accusations over which side violated the truce in the conflict over Nagorno-Karabakh. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Fact Chat on a Monday morning, first one of the week. Mike Rouse and uh, Mihu Chuiton presenting. We were talking in the first part of the programme about the, uh, the idea of the travel bubble. This is after the government uh, announced last week that they had reached agreement uh, with Singapore uh, for uh, travel between the, uh, the two cities. Uh, negotiations are going on with uh, various other places uh, around Asia. And I think Australia as well has been, has been mentioned. I think France was mentioned originally, but now, on the contrary, they've... Uh, they're shrinking away, yeah. Uh, well, we're going to be talking about the uh, latest developments uh, with COVID-19 with uh, Professor Benjamin Cowling from the uh, University of Hong Kong, head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the School of Public Health, and uh, Civic Party lawmaker Dr Kwok Kar uh, in just a moment. First of all, we've got, we've got a caller on the line. I think it's David Webb. Mr Webb, morning, good you. morning to you. Good morning, how are Hi, you? Mike. Hey. Look, I just wanted to make a point that if two countries or places in this case have similar levels of infection, which in this case is near zero, 
then there's no reason to test them at either end when they travel. If you're going to have a proper travel bubble, they, there's no reason to think that someone who gets on a plane is more likely to have the virus than someone who doesn't. And you've got 7 million people here, of which all except three per day are not picking up COVID. Uh, so, um, the, but Edward Yao has said that in order for this so-called bubble to get going, you're going to have to be tested before you go, after you get there, before you come back, and when you get back. And that really destroys the whole concept. If you have to spend, you know, uh, 24 or 48 hours in your hotel when you get there waiting for your results and, and, uh, and vice versa on the way back in terms of three and a half hour journey into a two day journey um, and, and ruins the concept. So um, it, it really says that the two, the two places don't trust each other's data or they don't trust their immigration data. Um, because it is a, it's meant to be basically bringing the two places into a single pool of people, in this case 12 million, who should be able to travel freely as we do between, say, Hong Kong Island and Kowloon. We don't get tested when we cross over, um, and, and that's uh, what should be happening in a proper travel bubble, not all of this uh, um, uh, testing regime in order to use it. David, I, I, I kind to agree with you, but isn't this the sort of thing that would be better done after two weeks or a month of actual experience? Well, no, because the mathematics will tell you in advance. There's no reason to believe that the density of COVID on an airplane of, of people leaving Hong Kong is going to be any different to the general population. I'm, I'm talking so, about the political, the politics of it at both ends. Uh, but, well, po pol politics <laughs> and perception, you, you need to use science rather than fear. Yes, um, you do. <laughs> and, and just explain to people. And, and, and equally, if you have two highly, highly con uh, contaminated areas like, say, England and France, there's no reason. They don't, they don't currently have testing uh, both ways. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm surprised they let anyone um, in from the other. <laughs> well, you know, they, they, they've made their choice. The countries need to either decide if they want politically to go to, to aim for elimination, which both Hong Kong and Singapore are doing, and Taiwan has, New Zealand has, and so on. They can eventually all form a union, what I called in, in, in April in an article, the quiet zone, the quarantined union of international exempt travel. Uh, where um, they, they, they all quarantine their borders, but within those, um, that union, you can travel freely. Um, or um, you, you just um, let uh, the, the virus um, travel through in manageable waves according to the size of your healthcare system. Because uh, once, you know, if, you don't, if you don't aim for zero and, and, and trace and test and isolate the way Hong Kong and Singapore have done, and other countries, New Zealand as well, you know, if, you, if you don't put the resources into that, you're never going to get it down to zero. So you, you just have to live with it until we get um, uh, uh, vaccinations. But you know, we're going to have vaccinations early next year, probably, um, widely available. And um, hopefully uh, uh, lots of people will, will take them if they're properly tested through phase three trials. And at that point, uh, we're going to have to stop this nonsense of... of um, you know, that it, it'll become nonsense of um, trying to get to zero and maintaining um, quarantine on our borders or be very uncompetitive as an economy. We're going to have to accept at that point uh, that there will be occasional people arriving with a virus, um, not being able to spread it very far because it, uh, most of the people around them have been vaccinated um, and getting their treatment, um, you know, as needed. Sorry, just one thing you mentioned there was uh, the idea of being tested on departure and on arrival. Was the uh, that's what I heard? That's what I heard that you'd have to get a test, you know, seventy-two I hours before you leave, seen and that then written you'd be down. tested. Well, that's what Edward Yao was saying in his press conference, I think. Um, was he? Yeah. So you know, go back and listen. But uh, uh, 
Uh, um, yeah, I'm looking it, for it. It sounded I also like they hadn't entirely agreed on those measures. Exactly. I, think, I mean, that makes no sense, does no, it? That's, Ron, that's the whole point is if you trust the... Uh, you, but Ronald was, Ronald was saying there's a fair bit of details to be sorted out, mm. and I, I'm, yeah. I'm suspicious. Yeah. It may well be that the negotiations with Macau and the mainland overtake this, and that we get those in, but we get uh, travel resumed uh, to those places, and hopefully Taiwan, uh, even before the Singapore um, air bridge opens. So, so David Webb, you're you're saying then that you don't you, you don't need the tests, basically. You shouldn't be testing uh, if, if if we're having. Um, an arrangement, and it's only going to be with places that have nearly or completely eliminated the virus, yeah. um, then, then there's no need to be tested at either end because there's no reason to think that people who travel are more likely to bring in the virus than, than people who are already in their community, um, you know, perhaps still with remaining hidden transmission. Um, it's, it's just, you know, illogical to think that. All right, well, stay, stay on the line. Uh, Professor Cowling, good morning to you. Good morning. Do you, do you agree with that? Does that make sense? Uh, I, I think... We do need to think more carefully about risk. Right now in Hong Kong, if someone arrives, we ask them to quarantine themselves for 14 days, whether they've come from France or the UK, where there's a relatively high risk, or whether they've come from Singapore or New Zealand, where there's really a tiny risk. I can foresee in the future, if Singapore had zero cases consistently for a period of time, there really wouldn't be the need to test someone arriving in Hong Kong who's come from Singapore because it's going to be negative, because there's no cases in Singapore anyway. So I, I, I understand what David's saying. I think politically, though, it's going to be difficult to avoid having tests on arrival for a little while. Once we see that the tests are always negative for people coming from Singapore, maybe we could reduce it to just testing occasionally, you know, one in five flights, one in ten flights, something like that. But they, won't um, always, they won't always be negative, but there'll be about one in a million passengers who have the virus. So... You know, if, if they emerge in the community after they've arrived as a tourist and go and seek help, uh, then they'll be treated the same way we have occasional cases here and in yep. Singapore. Correct. Uh, so that's, that's manageable and much better than, uh, than basically um, having such a strangulated and expensive way of travel that no one wants to use it. And, you know, only desperate people will actually go through the, the tests to, to cross the bridge. David, you're logical, but you're not a politician. Maybe those two things are connected. Well, we, we've got a politician with us, Kwok <laughs> Kaki. Dr Kwok, good morning to you. Good morning. What good do you morning. think about that idea? Um, now, right now we are having a only one dividing line that uh, anyone coming from uh, any places in the world, uh, we divide into two groups. One is a high-risk area like uh, United States, UK, uh, Philippines, India. They, they must be observed this hotel quarantine uh, period of 14 days. Another is, of course, the so-called the ordinary traveller need to stay for 14 days of the home quarantine. Um, but of course, when we are, the first thing we are talking about whether we should have this uh, bubbles with uh, Singapore, I think the issue is whether we accept any countries with very low um, uh, infectious rate to be, uh, you know, the, this so-called the choice uh, bubbles. But mind you, this is only a nomenclature, it's only a name. Even if you go to Singapore, uh, coming from, in, in Singapore nowadays, they have two countries without doing, uh, a, a so-called, without doing any tests, including New Zealand, um, another, uh, can't remember the name, is just next to Singapore, uh, in the Malaysian Peninsula. And these two countries, any traveler uh, boarding on a plane, must 
have the COVID test being done within uh, 72 hours. And that is very important because, number one, they need to make sure that the country is involved or considering is, you know, have very low uh, risk. Secondly, they need to be tested before they were allowed to board on the plane. And for those countries having a so-called a low risk uh, conceived uh, so considered as lowest by the Singaporean government, they can shorten the quarantine period to seven days, including Taiwan and uh, other countries. Uh, still, they when they bought into the plane, they need to be tested. While they are entering Taiwan, they test one time, and they shorten the period to seven days. Not uh, a strict um, so-called hotel uh, quarantine. They can uh, go to any places. But they need to give another samples seven days after uh, the entering uh, Taiwan. That means it's, it's a week um, uh, after the end of the quarantine period. So, yes, number one, we can consider to have different so-called tourist bubble. But it must be, um, you know, the guidelines must be uh, considered and drafted according to the risk. You cannot have, you know, one fixed skyline which can fit all the countries because, you know, different countries have different widths. So for Singapore, uh, Singaporean uh, citizen, I think we can consider to give them the right to come here uh, without, uh, must be doing a test when they bought the plane because it's not, it's must be, it will be required by the, by, uh, by the airline, not only by the, by the uh, government. And entering Hong Kong, they need to test again. I think that is very fair because, you know, we need to pick up so-called the, uh, the municipal patients uh, or the areas. And then they can have different kind of quarantine period according to the width, maybe seven days, maybe 14 days. But before that uh, quarantine period ended, they must have the second uh, sample being sent to the uh, the of that. So, doc, Dr. Kwok, look, I, I wanted to make sure I understand. You're saying wherever they're coming from, they must have a test within 72 hours of boarding the flight. Yeah, that and, is a requirement for the flight. Right, because the airlines will, will want that. The airline that. will make it a rule. And yeah. then on no, arrival, the they should... No, don't blame the airlines for this. It's governments that are imposing yeah. these laws Hang and, on. and restricting airline business. Let me, let me have a go at Dr. Kwok first. <laughs> um, and then another test on arrival, but with the result within a few hours? Yeah, within a few hours, there will be a knowledge about the result. And then another test after seven days? Yeah, that was uh, very... This is actually has been done by the Taiwan, uh, by the Singaporean government. The, the Singapore government seems to be much further ahead than us, unless, unless we're not getting we, the full we story. We many times that the government should test uh, before and after quarantine period, just to make sure that nobody carrying the virus, so-called the immiscible carrier... Will, will be missed. And that is very important because every now and then we saw people, uh, uh, citizens, carrying the virus not being uh, catch on the first moment when they were entering Hong Kong, but subsequently they will have, the, on the second test or the further test, they, right. the test will be positive. Yeah. Is, it, is it realistic to get down to zero? Uh, I mean, it's obviously desirable, but is it realistic? <laughs> now, if Anyone, everyone is doing their job well, we would be able to achieve a so-called, at least, zero, approaching zero. Although we cannot have, may not be able to get the zero, but there's many countries we, we can 
you know, we've heard like Taiwan, they're doing uh, almost zero for uh, more than three months. You know, there are many countries uh, they can be doing a very good job. So I think as Hong Kong, we have suffered a lot as a result of the spread of the disease. So we need, we need to be very careful when we trying to lose the... Uh, Loosen up the uh, restriction on the on various segments, including traveling, uh, including on the on right. the you know catering on the bar, because we we cannot afford to you know suffer again for various industry like the catering industry, the bar, the karaoke. They suffer mm. a lot, and even the hotel industry and also the but airline companies. Are they, they suffering? Suffer are they suffering from the virus? Or are they suffering from our wa- ways to control the virus? We're, we're averaging three cases a day at the moment locally transmitted. About half of that, that's one and a half a no, day, no. is traceable to a previous infection cluster. Maybe no, no. one and a half not yeah. so easily. Yeah, now if you think otherwise, if you are in a country where, where, where there is spread of a disease, like for instance, if, you are Hong Kong, if Hong Kong is having more than 100 cases per day, would you be happy? To allow people coming into Hong Kong, would people like to travel to Hong Kong? Well, yeah, that problem would solve that problem would solve itself, wouldn't it? People wouldn't come yeah. here if we had that many new cases a day. And you know, if we had a hundred cases per day, then people would stop going out, and the all, and the restaurant and the bar would order to close. That is what happening in in Europe, and that's you know you you will you will have to pay the price if you are not observing a stringent control of the disease. It doesn't make sense at all. And secondly, life concern, life matter. We have, you know, 100 people died as a result of the third wave. They are our grandparents. I would not tolerate to see any people to die more as a result of the, you know, failure of the government to control the disease. This is something I cannot accept. David, can I just ask you just before just before you go? Uh, uh, do you accept that China's got it right? That basically whatever China did uh, is the uh, gold standard, as somebody said. Uh, we should well, be they, looking. Yeah, see what yes. they do. I mean, they, they, if your objective is, is zero COVID, uh, then uh, and, and they have been very close to that for a long time now. Mm. Then yes, but you have to ask yourself, socio in terms of social economics, is that your objective, or, or do you want to just manage it until we have a vaccination? Um, and not, um, you know... We do not know when the vaccine will be available. Well, Put it's, it's highly likely that uh, one of the no, we are, candidates a lot of will be available by early next year. So, is trying um, to find a new vaccine, but they're not but, available, and it's subject is, to a lot of testing. You, you pick your objective, and then you achieve it. And I do think that China has got that, because we, have, we do have about 1,000 people a day crossing the border into Hong Kong from the mainland and going through the quarantine process. Um, I, don't, I don't think we've had any... Uh, cases across the land border emerging as COVID cases in the last few months. Uh, so there's your, your test, although I don't think the land border is properly, uh, actually, they're not tested at the border, but they haven't emerged subsequently as cases. So um, the, it, it is time to, to reopen that boundary without two-way testing. Um, and, and, uh, and, and likewise with other places that have very low levels. Uh, but um, to, to Kotkarki's point about um, elderly people dying from COVID. It is, of course, tragic uh, to, to their loved ones, um, but many of them were going to die soon anyway. The <laughs> government doesn't prevent all cases of common colds and flu, uh, which kills, um, you know, 300 people a year in a bad year here. They don't, they don't um, 
prevent uh, all cases of all diseases. So it's not their job to prevent all cases of all diseases and let people die of old age. Uh, that, that's not the way the, the, the sort of social construct works. And, and in, if your healthcare capacity can handle the level of cases you have, um, then it doesn't really make sense uh, to head back into um, heavy lockdowns, which is uh, what some, some countries are now doing. But for political reasons, as Mike says, they, they sort of say, what do the voters think? Uh, what, 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 you know, what, how does this affect our re-election chances? And what do we think they want us to do, rather than what is the logical thing to do? Mm. OK, well, David Webb, many thanks for joining us. Thank uh, you. Uh, our number is 233 uh, Colin, in an email, says, uh, which companies will do the testing? This is, I think, was a reference to the, to the travel bubble. Which companies will do the testing? How have they been selected? What will the cost be? Any connections to the Hong Kong government? That's uh, from Colin. That's all to be uh, announced. Uh, e says, with the subject line, travel bubble versus relaxing local restrictions. The government is reluctant to relax local group uh, gathering restrictions and social distancing rules that are strangling our economy and our social lives unless we can get back to zero cases for some period of time. Introducing travel bubbles with anywhere that still has recurring cases of the virus seems to run the disc risk of keeping the virus in our society and moving the day that restrictions can be relaxed further into the future. Is that worth the trade-off? That comes from uh, E. Uh, Benjamin Cowling, what about that? I mean, that idea and, you know, what David Webb was saying, that we could, in some ways, kind of strike a compromise that to, to insist on zero... Uh, infections uh, may not be the way to do it. I think one of the things we have to recognise is when we talk about travel restrictions and travel bubbles, that's the idea of a small number of infections potentially getting into Hong Kong. What we then need to worry about is whether those infections are able to spread or not, and that's going to depend on the restrictions that we have in place locally, the social distancing and so on. So we know that sooner or later infections will find a way in. We learned that in June, when we had our third wave of infections coming into the city. I think whatever we do now for the next few months, infections will come in. In fact, there's still infections locally anyway. So allowing in one infection from Singapore wouldn't make an awful lot of difference. Allowing hundreds of infections in from another country might do, but allowing really a very small number of infections into the city when we know there are already other infections here and other ways that infections can get in. Really, in terms of risk balancing, I don't think it's a major concern. We're always going to need to be prepared to bring back social distancing measures to stop local epidemics, to stop the large number of infections and deaths like what occurred in the third wave, to stop deaths in the elderly particularly. But deaths in the elderly are not a direct consequence of importation of infections from somewhere like Singapore and New Zealand. They're a consequence of infections being allowed to spread locally. So your correspondent just now said that we'd like to get to zero and stay at zero for as long as possible. That's true. Of course we would. But it's going to be very difficult, even if we have the, the current border restrictions in place, it's going to be very difficult to get to zero and to stay at zero. And so, as David Webb was saying, maybe there's a trade-off that we have to accept a small level of risk, maybe having a travel bubble with places that also have tiny numbers of infections, and maybe that's a risk worth taking for the sake of the economy. So that's the argument that was being made earlier. I can kind of see both sides. As a public health expert, I have to advocate for, for low numbers of infections, 
low numbers of hospitalizations, low numbers of deaths. But I can see the economic argument for allowing a small amount of, of risk of importation of infections. Right. So, um, one of the numbers that came out um, was that maybe in a flu, normal flu season, we're losing two or three hundred people. Uh, no, a thousand deaths every winter with flu. A the thousand deaths. A thousand. And we've lost maybe, what, a total of just over 100 from COVID so far? Well, I'll remind you what happened in New York back in April and March, April, May. 20,000 deaths in New York yeah. uh, and not an enormous epidemic there. Probably 1%, 5%, 15% of people in New York got infected and they had 20,000 deaths. That could have been us. So we've averted that kind of tragedy locally. And I think we need to keep uh, a very close eye on COVID. We, we cannot let a large epidemic occur uh, Professor Yoon raised the concern about a thousand COVID deaths. That would be ten times the size of our third wave. So that would be fifty thousand cases, maybe a hundred thousand infections or so. But there's still a lot more people than that in Hong Kong that could get infected if we don't stay on top of things. So we really do need to be concerned about about uncontrolled spread of COVID. And if or when the fourth wave appears, we will need to tighten social distancing measures again. But I. I think at the same time, when, when uh, we don't have many cases about, we, we should take advantage of it. Okay. Uh, uh, Tom, in an earlier email, said, uh, if our little Make Hong Kong Great movement could take the free government COVID test when they're available and stop talking conspiracy nonsense like their counterparts in the US, that would definitely help. Uh, G, uh, in response, says, can Tom confirm that results from the government voluntary testing scheme were not accepted and not fast enough to satisfy the requirements for cross-border travel by the mainland authorities? Nothing to do with politics, then. Uh, that uh, is uh, from G. I say, I took the, <laughs> I took the test uh, because there was an infection here at, uh, at RTHK among the, the cleaners, so I took a test uh, when was it? It was quite a long time ago now. Two months ago or something? I'm right. still waiting for the result. Anyway, <laughs> well, I, result I had to have a test before my surgery on my eye, and that was two days before the operation was scheduled. They had the result before, before the surgery. So there does seem to be a difference. Mm. I'm working on the assumption that, that no news is uh, good news, <laughs> so if they didn't tell me. Well, you uh, soon you could die of old age before you get the result. <laughs> before, before, before I get the result. Um, uh, key. do you think that the current level, because we, we sort of, we, we're keeping, it seems, you know, this week, last week, we're keeping the current level of, uh, uh, of social distancing and uh, anti-epidemic, uh, pandemic measures. Is it about right at the moment, do you think? Um, some of the measure is actually doesn't make good sense at all. Now we are allowing a lot of people to in the shopping mall, and we allow people to, you know, have a lot of people going out uh, on the weekends to have their trekking in a lot of, uh, you know, uh, in the in the country park. So the so-called the four people restriction on the outdoors it doesn't make sense at all. Except the government is actually doing that. As a you know, as a measure to better control so-called protests or uh, demonstration, it doesn't make sense. And also, there should be some provision on the uh, outdoor restrictions of people. But for the others, like you know, uh, other activities, they can consider. But the first and foremost is the control of the disease. You need to at the activities within Hong Kong. Otherwise, you know, we cannot 
able, we were not able to loosen up any restriction on the catering industry and on the hotel. And so, sorry, Doctor Kwok, we're, we're we're losing you. Just getting kind of every every other word. Uh, Benjamin, can, can I can I just put finally that that question to you as well? Do you think we've got it just about right at the moment? You know, we've been fine tuning it uh, for a while now. Does it seem at the right level to you? I think it's reasonable at the moment. I, I don't understand why we can't go to the beaches, why bars are considered more safe than beaches. Um, but other than that, I think we're, we're OK right now. Case numbers are low. We do need to be ready to bring back social distancing if, if or when case numbers start to creep up again. Um, and I think the sooner the better, because the third wave, in my opinion, was a bit too big. It would be better if we could keep a, a potential fourth wave a little bit smaller. But uh, we're kind of holding out now for the vaccine, as David Webb said, sometime maybe early, I think maybe middle of next year, we'll have a vaccine. And at that point, we'll be able to think about getting back more to normal. Right, but that assumes the vaccine works. And well, I think, I think as long as the vaccine can, can prevent the worst kind of disease, can prevent death, um, particularly in elderly, then we'll have to live with it. It'll become something like seasonal flu if the vaccine doesn't work that well. If the vaccine works really well, then we can maybe hope for elimination or, or certainly zero cases in Hong Kong but if the vaccine is okay but not brilliant then at least we'll we'll be able to try and get back to normal and then we'll just have COVID around like we have flu around every year and rem reminder flu causes a thousand deaths every winter and we live with it we don't keep the city shut down for flu. Okay well Benjamin Cowell thank you very much indeed for joining us. Professor Cowling head of the division of epidemiology and biostatistics at the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong. Thank you very much indeed to Dr Kwok Ki, Civic Party legislator uh, and uh, one more comment a uh, couple of comments on Facebook. Victoria says the response in Singapore on this is so much more muted and cautious in fact Hong Kong is in the 10th place for Singapore to make any such special travel arrangements. Their restrictions are also so much more comprehensive for instance households cannot have more than five people. One of the problems is that people having private parties, some up to 40 people without masks, and even when the police is asked to intervene, they refuse, citing its private property. There are so many loopholes to close, please. Edward Yao is no genius. That's uh, from uh, Victoria. And uh, one more comment I'd like to share on our discussion on uh, Friday on um, uh, Hong Kong history. Uh, Richard on Facebook says, uh, an excellent back chat on Hong Kong history. Uh, thanks. Uh, with reference to our early history, I believe the original customs house for the fragrant harbour incense trade was just outside the Aberdeen Tunnel, southwest exit, now demolished, I guess. Had not been there for several years. Some Hong Kong news scholars can confirm this, but what a sad loss for Hong Kong history. Another key historical landmark is Waterfall Bay next to Wafu Estate on Hong Kong Island, a source of fresh water for sailors for long before colonial times. Thanks for that, uh, Richard. Uh, Mike, many thanks to you. Nope. And uh, off, off somewhere, maybe maybe Lama Island to swim if I can get on the beach. <laughs> yes, if you won't be allowed on the beach. Uh, the weather forecast becoming fine, dry, uh, maximum temperature about uh, 29 degrees, and the outlook is going to be mainly fine and dry this week. The temperature difference between day and night will be relatively large over inland areas, and it's going to be slightly cooler in the morning and at night. Just 23 degrees at the moment, and the relative humidity is now at 73%. If you don't want to be dependent anymore, if you just want to stop dragging your feet, if you think it's time to make a change, break up with cigarettes and don't look back. Cigarettes, heat not burn tobacco products and electronic cigarettes put you and those around you at risk. Cut off, let go 
and break up with all smoking products. Call the Quit Line on 1833183. Quit and go for a new life. 32, the news with Samantha Butler. China's specialist Willie Lam says it's quite definite that China's five-year plan for the country will be reflected in the chief executive's policy address, which has been delayed until the end of November. Professor Lam says it looks like Hong Kong no longer has the autonomy to map out its own development. The head of a private doctor's group has called on the government to share its flu jabs with private clinics in light of a shortage. Henry Young of the Doctors' Union says members estimate they're short of about 30,000 influenza vaccinations and he hopes authorities can spare a tenth of that to deal with urgent demand. And the French president, Emmanuel Macron, has called for security at schools to be strengthened in the wake of the murder of a schoolteacher near Paris on Friday. The teacher, Samuel Paty, was beheaded by an Islamist-inspired youth after he'd shown a caricature of the Muslim prophet Muhammad during a lesson on freedom of speech. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of... Set and costume designer, great interpreter of Beethoven. And uh, oh so shy, quiet and retiring doggy council. Co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is a really for adults, it's not really for kids. Good morning. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Hello. Decide of what's happening behind the lift. Good morning. In-depth interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. And welcome to Monday, brand new week, good to be back with you. So of course we're going to start at 10.10 on today's Morning Brew with the latest from the world of rugby with our mate Robbie McRobbie, who is the CEO of HK Rugby. Our New York correspondent Tracy Kwan with me at 10.40 to talk about a 20-minute documentary which is available in Hong Kong that she mentioned last week. It's called A Love for Latasha. It's actually about one of the incidents which led to the 1992 riots in L.A. That and some other bits and pieces. After 11.30 today, are going to turn our attention to the world of music. Well, musicians in quarantine has very much been in the news here for the past week or so, with our top local orchestra currently in practice camp. Band camp. <laughs> anyway, one musician who's just about to get out of a slightly different quarantine is a famous violinist, Dan Jew, who did join us on day one a couple of weeks ago. Now, granted, his surroundings have been considerably nicer than those of our friends in the fill... But at 11.40, it will still be interesting to find out just how he steered his way through it. Ahead of a big, big recital at City Hall. Yeah, a little musical treat to 